You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, Aaron's here. I'm here. Cooley is joining us from the top uh, uh, by phone. Um, And we're going to spend 20 minutes with Cooley here at the top and then let him run. I've got a smell test coming up uh, and a couple of of thoughts about the rest of the NFL season. Um, We're down to the last three weeks. It's amazing, Cooley, that it, you know, we spend eight months getting excited and talking about and building towards an NFL season football season and it flies by and, and here we are in this season for us obviously as Redskin fans is has been a a long one um but when it's over it's over so I'm trying I want to enjoy the rest of of the regular season and then and then hopefully the playoffs too because it's been a pretty good NFL season it's been a really good NFL season it's and it's been a fast NFL season because you're just sitting here waiting for it to get over as far as the Redskins go, to find out what's going to happen as the season ends. So, you know, but it, when you look around, it, there's there's a, a lot of really good teams. There's some good games coming up this weekend. There, there's some impactful stuff as you get the last couple weeks, and so it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then the play, I think the playoffs are going to be really good this year. I do too. every year. Yeah. What am I talking about? I know, I know, but you know what? I, I it's when it's over, it's like, oh man, I wish it were still football season. So we got to sort of you know live in the moment here, um, put our phones down and live in the moment. That's that's my advice to most of you young people out there. Uh, what did you think of Lamar Jackson last night? My God, the Ravens—they're absolutely incredible. It is so much fun to watch that team. And it, it, actually, it's funny. I was going to do this thing today on my podcast, the comparisons between our 2012 team and that current team. And it, it's when you look statistically, it's at least on offense, it's it's really similar. But then you just watch some of the weapons they have, and you look at the tight ends and the way they're built. It, it's just it, it's amazing. And Lamar Jackson's been absolutely incredible. Uh, his ability to to move the ball anyway is so scary then it's fun to watch your evaluation of Lamar Jackson by the way earlier this week on radio and I think on the podcast I essentially um endorsed you for a significant role in the Redskins organization based on your track record of getting <laughs> almost every evaluation correct and I'm being honest I mean I you know how I feel about your uh, football acumen there's nobody that I know that's smarter when somebody when when you take time to watch something and evaluate something but on Lamar Jackson, you didn't get him completely right. I didn't. Uh, I got him right in terms of you and I sitting there saying if he would run the ball, be a running back, be a slash player, that I would take him number one, number one overall. And I think we we could go back and probably pull that audio and we said, look, he, he's so freaking dynamic that he's the best running back in the NFL, which, by the way, stands 100% true today. He is the best running back, in my opinion, in the NFL, if he were to play running back. He's also probably a good route runner if he wanted to do that as well. But what's that, what, what that has created for him in the passing game has been outstanding, and it, it's really created a really high completion percentage, some big-time open targets, a ton of touchdowns versus interceptions, and some big-time plays for that, that offense. He's been spectacular. I, I, I didn't see him as a drop-back guy, but point is, is he's not a drop-back guy, and that's what's beautiful about what they're doing. If he were to, if he were to have a, a, a ankle sprain and not be able to move around, it's not the same offense. If he were to do what Robert did the end of the year next year, it's not the, the same offense. But his threat of being able to do anything has, has been amazing. And their speed, too, if they play fast. I think I think what you said uh, basically your evaluation was this: he's the best running back in the draft, and if he's going to play quarterback, he's got to play quarterback for a team that designs their offense around what he does best, and he's got to end up being a dual threat quarterback, and um, and he's he's every bit a dual threat quarterback, and it's just amazing his t- the touchdowns he's got thirty three in the season. Uh, last night he's only got 15 completions and five of them are touchdowns. He could have had six or seven in that game. Um, he is Cooley. He's the most exciting player in team sports right now to watch for me. I don't even know what the close second is. 
but he is watching him and watching the way they play offensive football is so electrifying, and he's the best watch in sports right now. I don't know if there is a close second in the NFL. I think for me, if I'm watching any game on TV, at least football-wise, it's probably Chase Young would be the second, <laughs> just the way he impacts every single play. There's, I mean, there's so many good players in the NFL, but what Lamar Jackson's doing is new, and it's people don't have answers for it. And he's making play after play after play, and, and they're highlight-type plays. And the way he runs, the jukes, the touch he's got on the ball in some of these deeper balls is, is really incredible. And so he's, uh, he's fun. Yeah, he is. Um, did you watch the whole game last night? Were you paying attention to the game when Robert Griffin III got in? I was I I made it through about three quarters, three and a half quarters. The game was over. I, I cashed in on the game. Aaron, about did you watch the whole game? Did you were you were you up for when Griffin got into the game? Uh, I think I turned it off where I okay. when uh, Griffin went in. So let me tell both of you what happened. Griffin comes into the game first of all much after the fact that uh, after when I thought he should have. I thought they had Jackson in there way too long. The point spread was in jeopardy all night long. It was a seventeen point spread, and the Jets actually moved the football against the Ravens. They should have scored more points in the first half. They had like a fourth and one. Yeah, Yeah, the Ravens seven went for it, missed it. They missed a field goal. They had the ball at the end of the half deep in Baltimore territory through an interception. But when Griffin came into the game last night, he comes in and on the second snap, the first snap is a throw that he underthrows to the tight end uh, or the guy guy that plays both ways um, for them. Um, And on the second play, it's a read option and he keeps it. And he gets to the edge, and then he did what Griffin's always done. He gets hit in the most awkward of ways, and he gets lifted off of the ground and driven into the Jets' sideline. It's it's one of the hardest hits on a quarterback I've seen all year long. It was a benign keeper off the read option, you know, read the defensive, he's, he's to the outside, and he sort of, sort of contorted himself like he, he just doesn't know how to avoid these wicked shots. I, it's weird. Like, I, I know that there's this straight-line speed component to him. He's not got the great peripheral, you know, vision that, you know, Russell Wilson and Jackson and Vic and all those guys, he's different in that way. But uh, you got to see this hit. You got to you got to watch it on the all twenty two. He takes a vicious hit, bounced right back up. But it looked it looked like those shots that we were so used to seeing him take. I don't understand why he can't avoid them. Isn't it amazing when you see guys that just don't have that lateral movement? How they just end up taking those hits? Yeah. Which, by the way, is, is a slight concern of mine for our guy Darius Geis moving forward. Is how do you avoid those? hard shots into your legs down the sidelines and stuff. How do you not transfer weight to take it off a part of your body? That's one of those things that I don't understand because that's, in my opinion, one of the things that I was best at was kind of giving that dead leg and not taking that the brunt of a shot. Right. Yeah. I, it, so it, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I feel like it's not hard to just take your weight off of that side where they're going to hit you so you don't absorb it all into your body, but... I don't know, man. Anyway, you, you look look at it and call me later if you get a chance to look at that the play and the hit that he took. Um, all right, let's get to uh, uh, the Redskins. Um, they have I on Monday said the following, and I know we've had this conversation off the air, but we haven't had it on the podcast yet. I said credit to to, to where credits due. Bill Callahan's Redskins are better than Jay Gruden's Redskins. I think we can definitively say that they have played hard. They've been trailing 14 to nothing the last two weeks. Most teams in their position would have gotten absolutely run out of the building. They didn't. They came back and won one of those games. They were in it score-wise at Lambeau. They, they, they have 17 sacks defensively in their last three games. I don't know that they've ever had a better stretch of pass rushing than they've had here over the last three games. They're a physical team. They try hard. I don't want Callahan back. Okay, don't misread into that. But I gave him credit because I think it's clear that this team's a better team with him than it was with Jay Gruden at the beginning of the season. You say what to that? I think we went through this after the game, and you can look at a lot of these games and say, man, 
should have got beat bad by the 49ers but didn't, but there was the rain instance. And should have got beat by XYZ team, but they missed or dropped plays. Or, but they, they're there. Other than the Jets game, they've been right there in all these games. And so whether or not Bill's back, and I don't know what the future holds for this staff, uh, whether or not he's back, someone better pat him on the back and tell him he's done a heck of a job getting a young team to understand how to play football late in the year in the NFL because they have committed themselves. And, and I'm crediting the players here, too. These guys have worked hard. They're, they're, you can quit. You can end. They, they, have, they were pads yesterday. I mean, they're working. They're getting better. And really, it's becoming what is, to me, an appealing roster for anybody who's here next year moving forward. Obviously, there are some pieces you have to add. But the way they fight, the way they work, the way they hustle, play, um, there, there's a lot of good stuff going on here at Redskins Park. What's the? Give me the most appealing portions of the roster for a new coach and a new coaching staff. They're, they're looking at the team. They're deciding among you know two or three openings that they may have an opportunity at. What's so appealing about the Redskins roster? I think the first thing that you really look at is it, you have some good balance on both sides of the ball. I think that's really important when you're talking about building a team because if you're if you're really lacking on one side, and when we've looked at this Redskins team over the last five or six years, one year you're looking at five six new pieces on defense, the next you're looking at four or five new pieces on offense, right? And that puts a lot of strain on the other side of the ball because it just is the way football works, the complementary aspect of it. But you start looking at this, and I think you're probably looking at a 4-3 defense. We'll start there. You have Alan Payne, Ioannidis, Sweat. Those are all guys that you can play inside. And then you add Tim Settle in the mix is a good player. And I think you're excited about your front. I like Cole Holcomb. I don't know what they do at middle linebacker, but Reuben Foster comes back next year, and he's going to add something. Ryan Anderson is another good young player. Now, all these guys you're going to start having to end up doing deals with other than Ioannidis. The secondary, Landon Collins, is going to be an outstanding box safety in a 4-3 defense. And then you start looking at some of these young corners in your San Fabian. Although he's missed some things outside as a guy, you can build around Dunbar's a guy that, that's under contract that's playing well. You probably got to add a one corner. You like Moreland in the slot. And there's some stuff there, but you probably got to add a. Did you say you've got to add a one corner, like a number one corner? Yes, uh, a number one corner. Yeah. Yes, you need a number one corner. But we're looking at you. Look at this defense right now. You're going to build through depth other than a number one corner defensively. I don't see anything that you can't – all these guys, there are 10 guys that can start for this team next year on defense. You, you don't have voids that you have to fill. Now, clearly they, they're going to have to play better. The team's going to have to change a little bit. But I'd be really excited if I was a D.C. coming into work with this unit. I'd think that I had a versatile unit. When Offensively – yeah, Hold on for one second on defense. Ahead. So if you go to a 4-3, I want to make sure I have this clear – you would have Payne and, ins- and Ioannidis inside, and you would have Allen and Sweat as the DNs? No. You could potentially add another defensive end. I guess we're saying that. A couple of these young players are maybe interesting. But you can also look at what Seattle had done over the past, and Ioannidis could play your strong side defensive end over the tight end. They did that with that big dude, Red something. What was his name? Yeah, I know. Great big guy. Right, right, right. So, so you got a one-gap guy that can play over the tight end or can play over that strong side end, and you don't get movement there. But you, you may add a defensive end. You know, that, that's another spot where you could, you could definitely gain something. By the way, can you imagine if they got to number two had Chase Young there? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. Ridiculous. Well, I mean. That's another it, thing. That's another thing is you're going to get a good draft pick. So although you don't have a second, you're going to get a big-time first if you're coming in here. Right. You're, you're going to get a top – well, it depends on what happens here. Red Bryant who's, is the guy you were thinking Red of. Red Bryant. Um, the, uh, yeah, okay, so offensively, I mean, like, get to the – I mean, we know McLaurin. We know Harmon. You need a tight end. You got to, you know, you, you got to bring Eric Flowers back now, don't you? Eric Flowers is going to be one of those interesting ones because I think Eric Flowers is going to get paid some money. And so now you're going to decide how you pay Brandon Sheriff if you end up having to franchise tag him, if he ends up coming off of wherever he's at to the deal that's, I think, still on the table, which I would definitely want to sit down and talk to Brandon Sheriff about right now. You know, get get the business and let's knock this thing out as soon as we can. You want to keep him. You, you got Ruye inside. I think Wes Martin could play center next year and Ruye could play guard. 
Wes Martin to me, as I watch him, is probably more of a center. The way his body is, his, the way his movements are, he's not big enough for guard. So Wes is probably your starting center. Rudy could play guard if you don't keep Flowers. You could keep Flowers. You could pay him. I don't know what that market's going to be right now. You have to have a left tackle. And so that's probably another top priority. And then I think you need another big-time receiver. But you got backs right now. Both of us love, love. Uh, Geis will be back. We hope he's healthy. And, and you'll probably end up bringing back Smallwood. Uh, by the way, this other kid that's going to play this week, I think you're going to like. Ferguson? Uh, Josh Ferguson. Hmm. I think people will like him. <clears throat> so, I mean, you, you never know on that. But, you know, one playmaker, receiver, tight end, left tackle, that's three spots that you, you need that are, I think, important offensively. Uh, right, so, see. really, we're looking at a team that if you were to add four big-time players, maybe two through free agency, couple through the draft, and build some more through depth through the draft, I mean this. This got this team's got some stuff now. Also, it's there's a lot riding on your quarterback, and and what they do with that position. Right. You know, does Dwayne take another step forward? Because you and I have went back on this, and it is 100 percent fair to say that the jury is still out on what, on what kind of quarterback he's going to be. Is he going to be a like the three tiers? Right. Is he, he, I think he's at least in the first three tiers. 32 to 22, 22 to 10, or top 10. I think your jury's still completely out on where he's going to fall there. All right, so wh- wh- where, wh- where are you thinking right now? What have you seen the last couple of weeks? Um, what did you make of his performance against Green Bay? How did you grade it out? Give me, give me more on, on Dwayne. I, I think he missed some throws that could have been big shots in the game. I think he felt a little bit more pressure. There were a couple instances where you know, the ball could have been out when he when he was sacked. And a couple of those were not his fault pressures. You know, you, you say quarterback's fighting in the line or not. But he's he's got to know where his alternative play is immediately. And I think that's part of him being protected really well last year at Ohio State. But he's got to know, I got someone on my face. Where's the check down? Where's, where's the crosser? Where's the underneath guy? He's got he's to start getting a better feel for that timing so you don't end up taking those sacks. Uh, he's got to get a better feel for coverage and his post-snap reads. But to me, you know, you've seen him start to make some good decisions in the middle of the field and some plays in the middle of the field that he's throwing with anticipation. And and it's funny, you know, one of the plays that I really didn't like in real time in the game, they really showed on television. It was a third and six, and he threw it into the middle of the field into traffic, and it was at Harmon, and you're like, where... And then they highlight, here's Steven Sims sitting right over the ball. Yeah, right. Like, oh, man, that's a that's a first down right there. But that said, it's covered two, soft Tampa two. And Harmon is double-sticking a 12-yard dig route, bends in a little bit late to the Mike linebacker, and then stops. The ball, if Harmon had rolled that hard, and if you freeze frame it right before that ball is thrown, if Harmon just rolls in behind the Mike linebacker, he's, he's actually thrown with anticipation. I'd put that on Harmon. Now, I, he, he, they drop soft enough to probably just throw Sims. I understand that completely. But that could have been a completion. So, to me, I, I think that he's a guy right now that's making, and I do this every week for the Redskins, that, that's making between 6 to 12 throws a week that you go, yeah. And I can cut that up, and I can make a, a heck of a clip out of that between 6 to 12 to even 15 a couple weeks ago. You'd just like him to keep making one or two more throws every game, take a couple of the bad ones away, make a couple of the other throws, and then a couple of those shots down the field he's got to start hitting. His completions right now are expected completions, in my opinion. He's doing a good job with them, but realistically they're expected completions. He's got to start making some of the unexpected completions. Turn those into better plays. Um, <clears throat> do you think the ankle impacted his performance at all Sunday? Well, it did because I watched it. I don't. Everyone handles injuries differently, and it was diagnosed, discussed by Callahan, almost anybody after the fact is a big, really mild ankle break. So I don't know why he was limping as much as he was limping. But uh, the 
one thing I've learned is everybody senses their injury or or their whatever they have. You sense it differently. So I don't know. It, he's, I can find plays late in that game, and I will say this. I can find plays late in that game where he's not limping. <laughs> okay. So, and I don't want uh, – you that, a, that, could be a, that could be adrenaline. That could be the moment taking over. That, yeah. that could be anything. I'm not I'm not doubting that. No, I know. Ankle. I know. I know. You're, you're, uh, it sounds to me like you're sort of where I am, which is, you know, and people rip me on Twitter uh, and, you know, it's – told me that they hated me because I, I suggested that maybe he's just one of these people that when they get hurt, they're overly dramatic, you know, and he wasn't as seriously hurt as he appeared to be um, because, you know, ha- most of our media and mo- most of our fan base thought it was irresponsible uh, b- uh, on the coaching staff's uh, part by leaving him in there. But when I heard Callahan after the game and then obviously this week, I think what we've learned is that he wasn't seriously injured and that's why he continued to play. You know, it's not that hard. Well, I mean, uh, so we've all seen sprained ankles, and I think you, you coached basketball. I've been around football forever, all sports. We've all seen varieties of sprained ankles. Right. By the way, he came in the next day, and the way he, the way it affected him in the game, he wasn't as hurt as the. And, and I think anyone's opinion is as it really looked. Right. So because he was really laboring on that thing. Yeah, he was. Um, you would have expected a balloon on Monday. I know. You would have. Um, so he's also young. I know. So this Sunday against the Eagles, the Eagles are a very good run-stopping team. The Jets, you know, statistically were a good run-stopping team, and they stopped the Redskins from running, and they buried the Redskins. I'm actually concerned about this game. Uh, the The line tells me Redskins keep it close, and the the public action on Philadelphia. But in in thinking about this anal- an- analytically. I think the Redskins are going to have a very difficult time running the football, and I think they've got. I think they should be creative and aggressive early with Dwayne throwing the football. What do you think? Uh, it's always hard to run up against the Eagles, but I don't care if they're a 25th rushing team in the league or if they're the first best rushing team in the league. I, I think everyone wants to see Dwayne drop back and throw the ball. I, I think the development of this team is probably more set on what can Dwayne do throwing the ball? And so the creative aspect of it, to me, isn't creating as much in the run game. It's utilizing the top 15 plays that he's had this year, the things that he does best, and then trying to formationally hide those and disguise some of those things and giving him multiple looks to the, some of the same plays to see how he throws the ball and handles that throughout the game. It doesn't, And, and it doesn't matter to me. Where the Eagles are in rush defense, it, the game, does the game matter if we win or lose? Uh, other than you want the Eagles out of the playoffs, I, I, which I don't care about. They're not going to win anything this year, I don't think. And I just want to see what Dwayne can do and how much he can handle back there as a quarterback. Yeah, and I now think, yeah. it would change. It would change to me if he got back there and started taking sacks early in the ball game. You know, if he got back there and he, you could see that he's in trouble and the Eagles are getting after him, then I'm going to get back to my run game because I do want to protect him a little bit. But I want to see if he can get the ball out quick to pressure. I want to see if he can anticipate some throws. I would have a lot of first down throws. That's, I don't know what they're going to do this week. Uh, probably try to creatively run the ball like you suggested. But to me, I, that doesn't mean anything right now moving forward. Let's get our quarterback rolling and see where he's at. All right. I know you have to run. You've got a, uh, a meeting um, for um, an interview, I think, for the GM position. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at the park, so I, I want you, I don't want you to be uh, late for that. Yeah, one. really, really important. I'm now <laughs> two minutes late for it. All right, go ahead. I know you need to run. I'll talk to you later. Um, see you, buddy. All right, good to catch up with Cooley. Uh, he didn't have as much time. He actually is busy. He had some. He did not have an interview for the general manager position out at Redskin Park. He had something else that was going on that he had to get to. Um, but we got his thoughts uh, on the roster, on Dwayne in particular. I would really like to see them. This would be the week for me. You know, if you go back and you watch what teams have done against the Eagles, smart teams like the Patriots as an example. The Patriots knew they couldn't run the football against Philadelphia a few weeks ago. And this is what the Patriots do with Josh McDaniels. They they do whatever it is they need to do based on the team they're playing to move the football and score points. Now, they didn't score many points 
against the Eagles. But they came out and pretty much exclusively threw the football. They ultimately ended up with 48 passes, 22 runs. You know, because the Eagles have been very good against the run. Third in the league against the run. The Jets are second in the league against the run. When the Redskins played the Jets, they couldn't run the football. And they got absolutely run out of the building. I This, to me, you're, you're in start number six for Dwayne. Come out. Give me some shotgun. Give me some hurry up. Let's get him into a rhythm you know, with some quick game, getting it out of his hands quickly. You can come back to the run, but if you think that you're going to line it up and run it against the Eagles, I think it's going to be a long day. In the opener against the Eagles, the the game that the Redskins actually perhaps it's it's their best half of, of the year if the second half in the Carolina game wasn't, you know, they threw it 44 times, ran it 13 times. Darius Geis, 10 carries, 18 yards. They didn't have Ad- it did not have Adrian Peterson in the game. It's, God, it seems like it's forever on that game. Um, it was the opener, and it was the highlight of the season, basically early in September. But uh, this would be the week. You know, come out, let Dwayne throw it, go shotgun. Let's see some hurry up. Let's see him, you know, not have to worry about, you know, sub packages and what did you know what did Philadelphia come in with you're you're getting to face the same defense on multiple plays in a row I think he can throw it I think he's comfortable doing that I'd like to see that um that would be one of my keys to the game I'll get to the others right now with my Redskins beat Eagles if so I would start with this like the Redskins aren't going to beat the Eagles Sunday if they get into a 14 to nothing hole more likely than not that's what's happened the last two weeks they've got to start faster this week two 14 nothing holes the previous weeks against Carolina which they climbed out of against Green Bay in which credit where credits due they didn't give up they didn't throw in the towel like a lot of teams do in that spot and they hung in there but you know at home against a team that's desperate for this one to stay in the playoff race you know, they got to start faster. You know, even if it's just moving the football and punting to a spot where the other team starts in deeper field position, getting a field goal at this point. Um, but they've got to start faster. Uh, the Skins will beat the Eagles if, as I mentioned before, they get a little bit more creative and aggressive offensively. I think Dwayne's got to throw it. You know, facing this Eagle rush defense is going to be a problem. Um, I, w- I will say the following. If on Monday morning... The Redskins had 150 yards on 30-something carries, and they stuck to the run, and they tried to get physical, and it worked. I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. Now, it doesn't necessarily help Dwayne if he's, you know, 15 of 29, and they ran the ball 35 times for a buck 50, and they had a chance to win the game. I'd like to see more of Dwayne throwing the football, especially against an opponent like this. But if they run it against the Eagles on Sunday, it's another it's another feather in in uh, in Bill Callahan's cap, and I'll, I'll credit him on Monday as critical as I have been at times of him, because it would be a sign of a team that has taken a physical, you know, very consistent approach to what they want to be, which is a run first team. Now I don't know what they're going to be next year. Uh, I also think that if they did that and they won the game, it would it would impress the hell out of Dan Snyder. You know, is this game the Green Bay game from last week in terms of the importance of the game for the Redskins? And when I say importance, I'm talking about importance for us, actually. Like, if they win, does it mean Bruce is coming back? Does it mean Callahan's got a better shot of coming back? I have no idea. I thought that the Green Bay game last week, to go to Lambeau and to beat a playoff contender would have been... You know, one of those things that Snyder and Bruce Allen would have celebrated and told each other and told the world how much they were right about how close they were. Uh, lastly, in terms of beating the Eagles, pressure Carson Wentz. Do you know that the Redskins right now are in the top uh, or eighth in the league in sacks? They have 17 sacks over the last three weeks, six on Jeff Driscoll, seven on Kyle Allen. And four on Aaron Rodgers. And we all know, too, that watching these games, it could have been more. Like, they could have gotten Allen another once or twice. They could have easily gotten Rodgers another once or twice. The Redskins are currently seventh in the NFL. Seventh in sacks. They're, they've got 40 sacks. Eight fewer than the Steelers, 
who are in first. I said on Monday, I don't know that I've, I remember a better stretch of the Redskins pressuring the opponent's quarterback. Carson Wentz has been under duress. He doesn't have a lot of weapons. He He's going to be without Alshon Jeffrey now, who's done for the year. They signed Robert Davis. Remember him? Redskin? He may be up. I had Merrill Reese on the radio show, the legendary Eagles radio play-by-play voice. He said that Robert Davis probably is going to play on Sunday. Uh, the Redskins' defense, if they pressure Carson Wentz like they did Rodgers, like they did Allen, they're going to get stops. You know, there was that stretch of the season where they couldn't get off the field against almost anybody, including the Dolphins at the end of that game. And now they're sacking quarterbacks on multiple downs, first and 10, third and six. It's been impressive. Ionitis, Allen, Payne, Anderson, Kerrigan, before he got hurt last week, he won't be in the game. Um... The Redskins on paper, you know, going into this, have a chance. You know, they have a chance. Are they Are they going to be in the smell test? I'll let you know in a little bit. Uh, quick word about mybookie.ag. If you're looking for a place to bet, consider mybookie.ag. All right. Uh, use my promo code KevinDC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C to activate the offer, which is this. MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Go to MyBookie.ag and use my promo code to activate that offer. Kevin DC is the promo code. I've mentioned this before about MyBookie. There are a lot of places you can go that aren't reliable, that you can't trust. You can trust MyBookie. Quality lines, fast payouts, many ways to wager. Um, I would trust them if you don't have anybody else. MyBookie.ag use, and use my promo code, Kevin DC. All right, so um, I'll get to the smell test here shortly. Finish up with a Redskins Eagles prediction uh, as well. Um, I was thinking about the NFL season, and I we talked a little bit about it with Cooley, and I was listening to Zabe, Zabe and Scott last night, or the night before, I forget which night it was, and Zabe sort of was reminded that it's week 15 already, and he, you know, I heard this sigh, like, God, man, it flies so fast, and sometimes you have to just sort of enjoy the moment, you know, you got to live in the moment because it goes by quickly, you know, we spend a lot of time in the off season talking about the upcoming season. And in this particular season for the Redskins, it's really, really been a long season. You know, it was over early, and so we've been living as Redskin fans in this, you know, two-and-a-half-month mode of terrible football team, bad football team, going nowhere, waiting for the changes, which have yet to come. And I would say to you, as of this morning, I did think there might be some news this week on Bruce Allen, but... On that front, I've got nothing for you. I still believe there will be news at some point. Um, I still think that the chances are much greater than not. I'd put it at 70%, 65 to 70%, somewhere in that range. If Bruce Allen's going to be completely out of the, the picture when the season ends or, or before the season ends. Um, now, if they were to win two of the final three games, anything's possible with this group. Anything is possible. They could convince themselves if they won two of their final three, which at that point, if that happened, would be four wins in their final six games. You know, they would have a 5-11 and 11 record. They would probably finish two to three games out of first. So Bruce would then be talking about how close they were. Anything's in play with this group. Anything. You know, the owner is impulsive. Um, I'm sure he can change his mind quickly based on other people being available or not available. A lot of things are in play. I would still put, you know, a better than two out of three chance, more likely than not, that Bruce is out and major changes are coming. They do like Bill Callahan, though. They do. They respect him. They like him. It's the kind of football and the kind of coach that I think they want, uh, whether it's him or somebody else like him. John Kime was on the radio show with me earlier and threw out Marvin Lewis's name. And, you know, Marvin Lewis, Greg Williams, you know, Mike Tomlin, who's not going anywhere after the job he's done. Um, 
that's the kind of thing that I, you know, I, th- I could see happening. Eric Bieniemy, if Alex Smith has a significant voice, that would make some sense. But anyway, that's not the conversation I wanted to get to. I got sidetracked there. Um, what do you root for when your favorite team's season, competitive portion of the season, is over? Which it has been for the Redskins for a long time. I'd be lying to, to you if I didn't tell you that every week I'm keeping an eye on the Vikings. I'm rooting for Kirk Cousins. I'm rooting for him to finally get over the hump and deliver in a big spot and get his team to the playoffs and win a game. I want that for him. He's having a great year. He's having a really good year without his number one weapon for much of the year in Adam Thielen. He's coming back, though, this week, apparently. He is, but he was coming back, remember, a few weeks ago against yes. the Chiefs and lasted all of like five or six plays. Yes. So, you know, that hamstring thing is always dicey. Um, I think Minnesota, and I've said it all year, and some of you have accused me of trying to play both sides of this thing so that I can say I told you so in either case, which I understand where you're coming from. You know, I've, I've downplayed the Vikings. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. I've said throughout the year, even though they are 9-4 and four now, that I don't think they're really, you know, at near the top of the NFC. I think San Francisco's better. New Orleans is better. Um, and I think Seattle's better. I mean, Seattle beat them a, a week ago, a week and a half ago. I think that their defense is incredibly overrated, and they can be thrown on at will, which is going to be a problem for them Sunday against the Chargers. You'll hear that in the smell test. But, you know, if Kirk ends up over, you know, and, and the Vikings end up doing well, people will just, you know, then I'll sit there and say, well, I told you Kirk was great. Well, I'm going to tell you that if he plays well anyway. All right, regardless of the results. He's played well, but he's got to take that next step. You're, all of you guys are right about that. I've never disputed that. Now, where it gets a little murky is when you say he's never won a big game. Well, of course he's won some of these big games. You know, they they won games at the end of the 2015 season, including a game on a Saturday night in Philadelphia for the division. You know, the division title was on the line, and he threw for 300-plus yards and four touchdowns in that game. Um, so he has played really well in big games before, and sometimes the team around him failed. But he also has played poorly in some of these big games. Witness the game they needed to win last year, Minnesota did, against the Bears in the season finale. He was terrible, terrible in that game. He's had a great season, though. It'd be hard for anybody objectively not to look at Kirk Cousins' season where he's right now in the top five to top ten in almost every single statistical category, you know, and say that he hasn't had a good season. But for him and that contract and his history, he's, he's got he's to get this team to the playoffs. It's not going to be easy. Here come the Rams. Here come the Bears. They've got the Chargers on the road. They've got the Packers and the Bears to finish up. Two home games, it's not going to be easy. That's what I'm rooting for, though. That's what I'm rooting for the rest of the way, more than anything else. Um, I'm rooting for Kirk Cousins to get over the hump and the Vikings to do well. Now, I always, Aaron, root for chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, I always root for road teams and playoff games when I don't have a side. I think winning on the road in the NFL playoffs is thrilling. I think it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that Joe Gibbs to me is even more of a legend than he already is because he took teams on the road in one playoff games, big playoff games, beat the Bears twice in, uh, you know, at Soldier Field when the Bears were the number one seed. One of my all-time favorite Redskin wins in terms of just being satisfied with it was when they got revenge on Buddy Ryan and the Eagles in the 1990 season, January of 1991, when they went to Philadelphia in the wild card round a month and a half after the body bag game and beat the snot out of Philly in Veterans Stadium. Buddy Ryan got fired the next day. He took off off the field before the game even ended. That fat load running off the field, you know, before the game ended, furious, knowing he was going to get fired because Gibbs had completely, completely bamboozled him. The Eagles were probably a better team. It didn't matter. It was Gibbs. He knew how to win those games on the road. Even when he came back in 05, first playoff game on the road at Tampa, they win the game. They win the game with a quarterback that threw for you know whatever it was. It was like the least amount of, of offensive yardage for a winning playoff team of all time. I love Joe Gibbs. 
I love those teams. I love rooting for teams to win on the road in the postseason. So when we get to the postseason, I'll be rooting for some chaos and some for, for some road winners. But right now, you know, with the Redskins out of it, as they have been, even though they weren't eliminated until last week mathematically, I'm rooting first and foremost for the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. What about you? You got something that you grab onto here for the final three weeks of the season to make it more, you know, interesting for you? You mean besides gambling and fantasy? Yeah, besides gambling and fantasy. Uh, you know, I'm really intrigued and I've really latched onto the Titans lately. I just what they're doing, what Tannehill's doing, what they're doing, AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, everything that's going on in Tennessee. I find fascinating, and I find myself, I don't even know why. I They've always been one of those teams that I just, I have no opinion on either way. I think a lot of there. people are sort of, with, with the Titans, are sort of, you know, they, they yeah. have no feeling they're, on them. They're there. They're yeah. whatever. I right. don't like them. I don't dislike them. I sometimes forget they're in the league, honestly. Right. I often uh, mix them up with the Texans. Um, but for whatever reason, the past few weeks, I've found them fascinating. I really hope they make it to the playoffs, and I really want to see what they do in the playoffs. Um. You'll hear my smell test coming up. I actually, uh, I think the Texans are right this week. Um, but I'm I'm intrigued by the tit- by the Titans also because I actually am a big Derrick Henry fan, and I and I like the way they're coached and the way they play. You know, when you can run the football and you are good defensively, that's a pretty damn good formula for the postseason and for December in general. And the Titans can run the football and they're good defensively, so I think they are dangerous here down the stretch. Um, I took calls on this on the radio show, and uh, people tweeted me as well. And I, I forgot about this, and this would be a nice story. I think a lot of people that don't have a, a dog in the fight might be rooting for Andy Reid to finally get over the yeah. hump. You know, yeah. he's been such he's been an excellent coach. You know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Andy Reid's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. I haven't thought about it a lot. But when you think about how much success he's had and how many teams he's taken to the playoffs and how many divisions he's won, how many games he's won, he's he's probably a Hall of Fame coach. He's 204, 128, and 1. He's got a 614 winning percentage. He has taken, listen to this, okay? His first year as Philadelphia's head coach was in 1999. He went 5-11 and and missed the playoffs. Then he made the playoffs in five consecutive years with the Eagles, including making it to one Super Bowl when they lost uh, to the Patriots in the Super Bowl in that 2004 season. Missed the playoffs, then went to the playoffs. Missed the playoffs, went three straight years. Let me just add this up. He's he's coached in 26 playoff games. He's 12 and 14 in the postseason. A lot of Marty Schottenheimer in him. But 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 14 playoff seasons in... It looks like 20, right? Uh, yeah, sounds right. Here's the one problem with 14 it. playoff seasons in 20 seasons. He gets to the playoffs 70% of the time. I you know, I agree with you that he's one of the best coaches we've ever seen. He's a Hall of Fame coach, Aaron. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Can you get in the Hall of Fame without the Super Bowl? Yes, you can. Coach? Who yeah. has? Uh I I'll tell you who has. Hold on here for a second. Hall of Fame coaches. Um, Tom Flores isn't in the Hall of Fame, and he's won two. Bud Grant's in the Hall of Fame. He didn't win one. Um, George Allen's in the Hall of Fame. He didn't win a Super Bowl. Don Coryell's in the Hall of Fame. He didn't win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, there are, a lot of, there are several coaches in the Hall of Mar- – Marv well, Levy's well, a Hall Cor- of Fame Cor- coach, Yell's not in the Super Bowl. because of what he did for the game. Okay, you know? an innovator. George Allen, an innovator in many ways. People don't understand that about George Allen. He essentially created the nickel defense, created you know the and, first and, guy to ever Bud, hire special Grant, teams. And by the way, did win an NFL championship. He just didn't win a Super Bowl. Mm, he did? The 69 NFL champion. No, no, well, that's the NFC champion. They lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. Right. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they called it before the merger in 1970. Yeah. He, they called it the NFL and right. the AFL. But that NFL championship was not, you know, once they started to play the Super Bowl, it was considered this. I, I, I just don't know if yeah. a modern coach can get in without winning a Super Bowl. I, I agree he should be in. Yeah. I just don't know that he will be in. Because, you know, even if you go back, you know, you have some of these coaches who coached to the, you know, you go back to him, he won four Grey Cup championships, which mattered in the 50s. 
So it's one of those things where, yeah, you can say some of these guys didn't make it, but A, it was a different time, and they did do something that Andy Reid hasn't done. Um, I am right about Flores not being in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, he's not in the Hall of Fame. He, he won two Super Bowls, but he's not in the right, Hall of Fame. Right, but that's what I'm saying. If guys who yeah. are winning multiple <clears throat> Super Bowls aren't in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, that win percentage, where does it rank? Where does his win percentage rank all time? Because it, it's 614's way up there. Uh, Andy Reid, seventh on the list of coaching wins, okay? And every single coach in front of him, Paul Brown, Curly Lambeau, Tom Landry, Bill Belichick, George Hallis, and Don Shula are all Hall of Famers or are going to be. All right. But the guy right behind him. The guy right behind him is Marty Schottenheimer, and Marty Schottenheimer is not. Now, how many playoff games did Marty Schottenheimer coach? Because Andy Reid's coached 26, Schottenheimer 18. Marty Schottenheimer, eight fewer. Five five and 13 versus 12 and 14. Yes. So his playoff record was woeful. You know, um, compared to uh, compared to Reed's, which is a losing playoff record, but he's won seven more playoff games yes. and probably won more division championships uh, than than uh, than Marty Schottenheimer. Andy Reed's percentage of six fourteen. Here's the problem with it. You know, it's so on the list all time. It's 29th. The problem is there are a lot of coaches that barely coached, you know, and only coached a few years and not enough games are in front of them. So let's see if we can do this. Madden is Madden's all time number one, 10 years coaching, 759 winning percentage. Lombardi's two at 738. I'm talking about guys that have coached, you know, post merger. Post merger. We don't have to go post merger. I think what we should do is somebody who's coached for at least. 10 years. Yeah. Somebody's coached for at least 10 years, okay? Lombardi would be two. George Allen would be three. People don't realize that about George Allen. George Allen is one of the all-time great coaches. He's got a 7-12 all-time winning percentage. The problem with George Allen, didn't win the Super Bowl and only got to one Super Bowl. Um, next up, uh, Ray Flaherty, which was you know the Redskins coach from the 30s, you know, in, into the 40s. By the way, before we go there, just, yeah. I know we're not counting them. Jim Harbaugh's fifth all time at winning percentage. How many years is it? It's coach? only it's only four yeah, years, four. but that's still amazing to think about. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, look, I'm not, if we go down the list, Andy Reid's six fourteen winning percentage for coaches that coached at least ten years is going to be in the top ten, top twelve, somewhere around there. Yes, you know, because there are a lot of guys. Mike Martz is in front of him. Barry Switzer's in front of him. George Seifert's in front of him. Red Miller. Yeah. George Seifert probably. Uh, there it is. I was going to say yeah. he probably coached more than ten years. He yeah, coached eleven, say, including with Carolina. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, we 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 got we, we got sidetracked there. I I started the conversation on Andy Reid by Reed. saying that some people are going to root for Andy Reid to finally Look, get through. If, if he gets through, if he gets that oh, it's Super a lock. Bowl, he's a Hall of Fame lock. I think he's I, personally. I think he's a lock anyway. I think Andy Reid's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and he's also considered to be like this quarterback whisperer. You know, one of those guys. But he's won. He's won everywhere. Tell me right now, as a Redskin fan, you wouldn't have taken Andy Reid's run in Philadelphia or Andy Reid's run in Kansas City. You know, I mean, you would pay for that over the last 20 years. He has been a head coach since Dan Snyder has been an owner. And he's been in the postseason 14 times. Or he's headed to the postseason for a 14th time. Um, I'm sorry, he's headed for a 15th time. Entering his twenty, and he's in his twenty-first year yeah. of coaching. That's pretty it's damn good. Amazing, pretty damn good. Uh, so people were saying that they were going to root for Andy Reid. So what? What are you rooting for? Uh, I'm rooting for. I'm rooting more against people. I feel like than for. Give me people. who you're rooting I'm against because I got one. I'm rooting against the Patriots, obviously. And you know what? Just because. Mainly because of their reaction to that. I'm rooting against the Ravens. Oh, you're rooting against. I thought you were going to say what I thought you were about to say what I, I was going to say. Why are you rooting against the Ravens? Mainly because. Yeah, by the way, Aaron's not a Redskins no, fan. I am not. If, for those of you that haven't figured it out. But go ahead. Um, And this is going to get me in trouble with some of my friends up in Baltimore. I just. Uh, mainly because of the, the Baltimore. Cinder, I have to deal with so many Baltimore. <laughs> I'm surrounded by a lot of Ravens fans. I'm surrounded by a lot of Baltimore people. So I prefer that they don't necessarily win when I can't win. 
Got it. I used to root against everything Baltimore, um, everything Ravens. I had um, definitely uh, a thing for Joe Flacco in the postseason because he was a clutch performer in the postseason, a really good player in the postseason, much better in the postseason or games that mattered late in the season than he was in games that didn't matter. Um, But uh, I am not rooting against the Ravens. I like Jackson. I I love all the players. Let let me let me clarify that. I love watching them. I don't. I don't care if they lose. But I, I don't care I root if they against win. their fans, more or less. Yeah. So let me give you the team that I'm rooting against. First of all, I always root against the Cowboys and the Eagles in the postseason. I'm rooting against the Saints. <laughs> I am rooting against the Saints. I do not want them to somehow, after they, you know, wind at the level that they wind at, their fans suing people as if they were going to go back and replay the the ending of the game and then put, you know, replay the Super Bowl. I mean, it was just so absurd. The NFL completely bowing to Sean Payton and the Saints and creating this ability to challenge pass interference calls, called or not called. It's been it's been a shit show of a rule. I hope it gets th- uh, talked about and pulled before the 2020 season. I'm rooting for the Saints to lose and lose early. I'm also rooting a little bit for Kyle Shanahan because of Mike. Um you know, I, I, Mike said when he was here, you know, and, and occasionally would get this, the only reason Kyle's a coach is because he's your son. And Mike would like roll his eyes and say, are you guys serious? Did you know what kind of uh, success he had as Houston's offensive coordinator? And oh, by the way, he's going to be a much better head coach than I ever was. And people said, head coach, Kyle Shanahan? Uh, yeah, I mean, Cooley said about Kyle, like, everybody in the building knew how smart he was and how good of a head coach he would eventually be. Of course, um, ownership, front office, too petty, too insecure to recognize true talent um, in the building. Um, and uh, he's uh, on the verge of potentially leading the 49ers from 4-12 and to a Super Bowl. Uh, but... So those are the things. I'm rooting against the Saints, rooting for the Vikings in particular. I will not root for the Cowboys if they make the playoffs or the Eagles. I'll be rooting for them to get bounced immediately. Um, I like your Tennessee a little bit. That would be some chaos mm-hmm. you know, if they got in. I'm rooting for a Kansas City-New England rematch in Foxborough. And then I also think it would be fascinating because I think people would give them a shot to see New England in Baltimore for an AFC title game? I think you you would see people giving they, – they would talk themselves into either side, their New England or Kansas City, and they'll go back and they'll look at – here's what they'll say, and they'll look at yesterday's game as an example. Baltimore hasn't been able to get to the quarterback. If you give Mahomes time, can he beat the Ravens again? Here's what you can't do against Baltimore. You can't stop them. Right. Well, that's <laughs> why I'm saying Kansas City, though, you don't have to stop them. You just keep up with them, and Kansas City might be that team. They're averaging, the Ravens are, 33.7 points per game. Um, They're not going to catch the Patriots, the 2007 Patriots, which set the mark for the most points in an NFL season um, because I think they're like 117 short of that. But um, they're going to be up there among the the highest-scoring teams of all time. I just don't think you can stop Lamar Jackson in this offense. You know, so you're going to have to score a lot. You're going to have to dominate possession a lot and keep them off the field, and then you're going to have to win on the road. Yeah, which is why I I don't think the Patriots are that. If the Ravens don't make the Super Bowl, it's not the Patriots. I think it's the Chiefs. But I would bet right now on on Baltimore making the Super Bowl. You know what, though? You're right. If the Patriots go to Baltimore for an AFC championship game, people are going to talk themselves into Belichick and Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady pulling it off, somehow doing it. And then Baltimore's going to run all over them. Yeah, they're going to be like a seven, eight-point favorite, and the world's going to be on the Patriots, yep. and you and I are going to be on the Ravens. 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, quick word uh, about Mama Lucia before I get to the smell test and a Redskins-Eagles prediction to finish up the show. Mama Lucia dropped food off for us today. Great food, pasta dishes. Um, they've got great Italian food, and right now you can give a great Italian food gift for the holidays with gift cards from Mama Lucia. Gift cards are available at all six Mama Lucia restaurants. If you want to have gift cards sent for you, it's really easy, guys. Just call 877-765-8242. That's 877-765-8242. 
8242, and Mama Lucia will send gift cards as gifts from Mama Lucia from you to whomever you want it sent to. Have Mama Lucia for the holiday season. Um, go into any one of their six locations. I go into the one on Elm Street and in Bethesda. They got two locations in Rockville, Olney, etc. Um, but give the gift of Mama Lucia for the holidays by calling 877-765-8242. Thanks to David and Jimmy and all the guys at Mama Lucia for dropping lunch off to to Aaron and I today. Um, it was uh, it was great. We appreciate it as always. All right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. The board was interesting this week because I think when I sat down and started to go through it, I think you were sitting here, it was after a show earlier this week, and I'm like, good God, I, I think I like 10, 11 games on the NFL slate. Well, I don't like that many anymore for a lot of reasons. And this is the time of the year where you got to be a little bit careful um, because, first of all, it's a good smell test portion of the year for this reason. You get a lot of games where you have teams that have to win playing teams that don't have anything to play for, and the public always buys into this notion that the team that has to win will win. And when you get one of those teams and they're a short favorite and then the public just loads up on them. And those are always opportunities in the final three weeks of the season. Uh, I remember a year, it was the Joe Gibbs first year back in 2004. I'm going to take you back to 2004, Aaron. The Redskins with Joe Gibbs back, Mark Brunel at quarterback, you know, it's his first season back. It was not a great season, you know, in 2004. You know, they started off 1-4 and four that year. But anyway, they started to play better down the stretch. They finished that season 6-10, and 10, if my memory serves me correctly. But they played a game in the final game of the year at home against the Vikings and Randy Moss with the Vikings needing to win the game to get to the playoffs. And that particular game, I'll never forget it. it was I think it was my first, probably my second year at 980. So I didn't really know the guys very well yet. Zabe and Andy and Mark Stern was there and Jackson and Galdi was a young pup. Happy birthday, Galdi, by the way. He turned 40 today. So God, in 2004, I think I've probably known Galdi for 17, 16, 17 years. He was literally just a few years uh, out of Maryland. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll never forget that particular game because the Vikings had to win it to clinch a playoff berth. The Redskins were 6-9 and nine playing for nothing. And the Redskins were at home, and I was already into the smell test you know, philosophy at that point. I had already taken my lumps many times and had learned that when something looked so obvious, it wasn't. And I think the Vikings came in here, and they were only a three-point favorite against the Redskins. And I remember saying to guys like Andy and Zabe and others, the Redskins are going to win the game Sunday. And they're like, what are you talking about? Vikings have to win to get in the playoffs. I'm like, no, 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 they're going to win the game. Trust me. Trust me on this. You can go to the bank on the Redskins plus the three. Called the shot. The Redskins won the game. And it was the game in which Randy Moss walked off the field before the end of the game for the Vikings. Um, The Redskins won the game, knocked Minnesota out of the postseason, and there are others like that over the years. In fact, I remember another game, I think it was Minnesota was at Arizona, the Vikings again, late in the season in 2008, 7, something like that, needing to win, and they were like, it was like a pick at Arizona, and I had Arizona for the max. Everybody was convinced Minnesota would win, they needed to win, Arizona didn't have anything to play for, I forget the year. And they in Arizona, you know, won the game. There's a lot of those late season games I remember. Anyway, you got a couple of those on Sunday, um, and they are in the smell test. But there are also some feelings you start to get after 13 games about certain teams. Like right now, I think the Bears are really a dangerous team. I think they're very good defensively. Uh, Trubisky's played a couple of games. They're at Green Bay. I kind of like the Bears plus four. I think the number's short, but the public action's pretty much split on the game. So it's not in my smell test, but I think it's one of those games that just like analytically, 
I think the Bears have a chance to win, so I might play it. Although I rarely stray from sort of my fundamental uh, handicapping philosophy, which is I don't know anything, but Vegas does. So whoever Vegas needs, that's who I should need. All right, let's get to the smell test. I was 3-2 and two last week, um, winning week after many losing weeks. I'm going to start with the game that is one of the games of the day, but it's the game that I really like the most. Um, Dallas is probably the biggest anti-public play on the board or pretty close to it. They're getting a point and a half as a team that's lost three games in a row that seems to be in complete free fall against the Rams, who have won two games in a row, including thumping Seattle last Sunday night in the Coliseum. Rams are 8-5, and five, have a very good chance now to run the table, pot- potentially make the playoffs um, when people sort of counted them out a few weeks ago when they were 6-5. and five. I like the Cowboys. Nobody's on the Cowboys, and that's strange because the Cowboys are a heavily bet team as the as America's team. They're a, a, a popular publicly uh, a team bet uh, by the public. So Dallas is catching a point and a half, which essentially for John Q. Public means all the Rams have to do is essentially win the game. Give me the Cowboys plus the point and a half. The Panthers have been terrible. They've won. They've lost like five games in a row. Seattle's coming off a loss. Um, they they want to get back on the winning track. The public is, is convinced that Seattle will rout Carolina on the road Sunday. Yet Carolina is only a six and a half point dog, less than a touchdown. Give me the Panthers plus the six and a half to keep that one close. Buy it to seven, of course. The Bengals are getting 10 against the Patriots. Everybody thinks the Patriots have lost two in a row and they're going to roll against a bad opponent. You know the Patriots haven't lost three games in a row since 2002. That's how long it's been since they've lost three games in a row. I don't think Cincinnati's going to win the game, but Cincinnati's come alive a little bit with Dalton here. You know, in the last two weeks, they finally won a game uh, a few weeks ago. They were close last week. Um, in their loss to Cleveland, they had opportunities in that game. I like Cle- I like Cincinnati plus the 10 at home against the Patriots. Um, so here's the setup for late season game. Team has to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're not going to be eliminated if they lose, but Minnesota has a big game against the Chargers Sunday afternoon in L.A. It'll be uh, – they won't feel like a road game – be almost a home game, and yet they are only a two-point favorite over the Chargers, who are five and eight and have nothing to play for. Philip Rivers always has something to play for. I like the Chargers a lot. Uh, I'm not going to root for that result because I want the Vikings to win. But if the Vikings win by one, then you win the bet. Um, but the Chargers can throw the football, and the Vikings have gotten torched by good passing teams. Their secondary is not playing at a good level. Now, Daniil Hunter's a hell of a pass rusher. You've got some of the best pass rushers in this game, Um, but they have not been able to cover. They lead the league in defensive pass penalties. I like the Chargers plus the two at home against the Vikings in one of those setups where the public's absolutely convinced that the team that has to win will win and cover against a team that's playing for nothing. And then finally, um, in the first of two Head-to-head matchups over the final three weeks. The Titans and the Texans. The public is on the on the Titans in this game. And there is sharp money I learned very early this morning on Houston. Give me Houston plus the three in Nashville against Tennessee, even though I really do like Tennessee as a team. A uh, couple of leans for you. I almost gave the Giants out in the smell test. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Dolphins. Dolphins playing for a second straight week in the Meadowlands. Last week they played the Jets and lost 22-21 in the Meadowlands. They're back in the Meadowlands Sunday to face the Giants. Um, The Giants lost on Monday night, so it's a short week. They're laying three and a half. The public likes Miami. I almost went Giants, but there's a lot of sharp money on Miami, so I stayed off of it. But I would lean Giants. I would lean Jacksonville. Sunday in Oakland, they're terrible Jacksonville, and yet they're getting less than a touchdown against the Ravens. Um, and there was one other lean that I had. Uh, well, just the 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 hunch on, on the Bears um, plus the four and a half. Now, 
Uh, a lot of you, let me just re- recap. So I've got the Cowboys plus one and a half, the Panthers plus six and a half, buy it to seven, Bengals plus 10, Chargers plus two, Texans plus three. That's the smell test. So now a lot of you are, are probably wondering, Sheehan, you missed one. The Redskins clearly have to be a smell test pick. Uh, I thought they were going to be. Plus four, plus four and a half. It's now plus five. There is sharp money on Philadelphia. The Redskins are uh, an anti-public side this week. They are, and a big one. Public really likes Philadelphia in this game. But there is sharp money on Philadelphia as well, and I think you're going to see that line continue to climb. Wouldn't surprise me if the game goes off five and a half, six by Sunday. I think the matchup is a bad one for the Redskins because they can't run the football or shouldn't be able to run the football against the Eagles. I'm not giving you the Eagles. Trust me, I would never fall into that public trap and play the Eagles. Um, But I may play the Redskins personally. I might even tell you that I'd lean Redskins. But there's too much sharp money, and I think that line's going up for me to give you the Redskins out on this Friday. All right, so there it is. There's the smell test. Uh, Cowboys, Panthers, Bengals, Chargers, Texans. There you go. Uh, let's finish up with a Redskins prediction. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. Yeah, so um, I, I think the Redskins have a chance in this game. I, I think both teams are going to struggle to score. I think the Redskins have been really good defensively and 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 Wentz has gotten sacked and you know they had three points at halftime against the Giants. They needed a late fourth quarter drive to force overtime and a big fourth uh, overtime drive to win that game. Uh, I like the Eagles to win the game. Um, I'm going to call it 17-14 Eagles. I think the Redskins are going to have a chance late with a Dustin Hopkins field goal from long range that he's going to miss. There you go. 17-14 Eagles. Uh, the total in the game is down to 38 and a half. Um, Weather is not going to be an issue Sunday. I think we're going to get rain Saturday. There could be some weather issues in games at Arrowhead. Uh, It's going to be very cold at Lambeau. And I think the Pittsburgh game and the Arrowhead game both could potentially be weather games. Although, you know, these things change um, by the time you get there. Uh, Eagles 17, Redskins 14. I wanted to remind everybody we've got an app. You can find it uh, in the App Store on your iPhone. You can also get it in the Google Store on your Android. Uh, Thank Cooley for coming on. Thank Aaron for producing it. Uh, We're done. Uh, There's nothing else, right? Uh, uh, We we talked about Clinton yesterday. I don't have any other information on that. I don't have any information on Bruce Allen at this point. Just sit back and wait and hope that they don't win out because winning out, yeah, that could probably change things. You know, 6-10, and division winner at 8-8, and and all they're sitting there saying, if we had just gone to Callahan earlier, we'd be getting ready for a playoff game. Uh, Anyway, that's it for the day. Um, Enjoy the weekend. I'm back on Monday.